This is Archive Atlanta, episode 65, Cemeteries, part one. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey guys, happy Friday. Longtime listeners here are well aware of my love of cemeteries. And for those that are new, because of the respect that our American culture has for these burial sites, they're often the only thing left to tell a history of a place. You can see this all over the country and all over Atlanta. Neighborhoods grow, develop, and encroach, but hidden among the trees are little family plots long forgotten to time. Now, I wish this was a blanket statement, but we all know that the burial grounds for people of color often face demolition or relocation, but that's another episode for another day. Oakland Cemetery is by far the most well-known Atlanta cemetery, and for good reason. They do an amazing job with preservation and getting people engaged and visiting, and it is long, long overdue for its own episode. Westview Cemetery has its own episode, um, but I still run into many people living here that have never seen it. But then there's so many other burial grounds scattered around. Some are hundreds of acres, and some are hidden between two backyards. So this week, we're going to do part one and cover six of these cemeteries that don't have enough history to fill their own episodes, but still places that everyone should visit. We're going to go chronologically. The first up is Utoy Cemetery. One of my favorites, and I think that there's definitely a bit of back and forth with Decatur Cemetery for the title of oldest in the area. Utoy has tombstone inscriptions dating all the way back to 1816. So yes, it would make it the oldest burial ground in Atlanta. Before 1820 in this part of Atlanta, we're still two decades from even being Atlanta. The Muscogee and the Cherokee are in the midst of treaties and land secessions, and the white settlers living here were few and far between. Covering about four acres in southwest Atlanta, this story starts with the Utoy Primitive Baptist Church. The oldest Baptist church in Fulton County, it began in a log house in 1824, really close to the present site now. In 1828, it moves to where you see it today. During the Civil War, the Battle of Utoy Creek is fought near here, and the Confederates set up this as a field hospital. The surgeon was local resident Dr. Joshua Gilbert, who's considered Atlanta's first physician, and his nurse was Sarah Hendon. A large majority of the Confederate casualties of this battle were actually buried in the cemetery, um, and Union soldiers were buried here as well, but they were moved to the National Cemetery in Marietta in 1866. But both Dr. Gilbert and Nurse Hendon are buried at Utoy, and they both have Union and Confederate memorial markers because they treated soldiers from both sides. Other notable burials at Utoy that you don't see in other cemeteries are two Revolutionary War veterans and a War of 1812 veteran. There are also claims that the white church members allowed their enslaved people to be buried in this plot as well. The cemetery struggles with periods of decline. There's actually a newspaper notice from 1919 calling on the local community to organize a cleanup day. In its most recent history, it's really the work of Lieutenant Colonel Perry, who I talked about in episode 34, that has gotten it into the state it is in today. Um, so it's definitely worth a visit, uh, and there's a historical marker, uh, and they've just done a really great job preserving it. Not quite a decade away from the founding of Utoy Cemetery, we see the start of Sylvester Cemetery in East Atlanta. The first white settler to have this land as part of the lottery was named Thomas Simmons. His property, which was a grist mill and a sawmill, were near Sugar Creek, a portion of which still exists along Interstate 20. 
This area is probably what we now call Kirkwood, but before the interstate's East Atlanta neighborhood boundaries reached over to this area. Thomas would die, leaving his estate to his wife Eleanor, and Eleanor would have a daughter that would go on to marry James Spanish Jim Brown. The Brown home was said to have stood at the corner of Moreland Avenue and Flatshoals Road. Nancy and Spanish Jim are considered the founders of East Atlanta, and they get married in 1836. Their first child is born just one year later, but sadly dies just after their first birthday, and they would bury them on the hill of the family farm. That grave is still there today. It's now in the middle of a roughly 14-acre Sylvester Cemetery. So you may be wondering where the Sylvester name comes from. In 1873, the Methodist Episcopal Church purchases land from a descendant of these early settlers, and she agrees to sell, but that the meeting house must be named after her son, who was named Sylvester, who died at a young age. So here, the Sylvester Meeting House is built. As the neighborhood of East Atlanta forms and grows, the family begins to sell more and more land. A local businessman, John McWilliams, purchases some of this land for the purposes of building a community cemetery. Legally, the cemetery is then called McWilliams Cemetery, but in earlier records, even when it was called McWilliams is what I'm trying to say, they still reference the early settlers. The church building no longer stands today, but there is a clearing um, or a meadow within the cemetery that doesn't have graves, and this is the spot that that structure once stood on. Aside from being the final resting place of the first families of East Atlanta, it's also home to Civil War veterans, as well as veterans from all major conflicts following that, and fiddling John Carson, who is considered the father of country music. Our third story today is about Southview Cemetery, which connects to the beginnings of Westview's story. I said in that episode that the city allowed a private corporation to take over the development of Westview with the requirement that they provide grounds for both African-American and pauper burials. In 1884, Rest Haven opens as the portion of Westview dedicated to Black interments. But, like all over the country, a Black funeral could not enter through the main gate, and they were normally deeded land that was in the back or in an undesirable, low-lying part of the cemetery. When Sterling Watts is buried in Rest Haven in 1885, his son Albert was moved to provide a better burial experience for the people of his race. Just six months later, he and five other men chartered Southview Cemetery Association. These six men were Jacob McKinley, George Graham, Robert Grant, Charles Morgan, Albert Watts, and John Render. The story of where Black people could be buried in Atlanta starts with Oakland, which was opened by the city in 1850 and allowed slave burials to occur along the back edge of the cemetery. Not even 20 years later, with Oakland running out of room, um, they basically dug up 900 people that had been resting in peace for almost two decades, and they reinterred them in the new back of the cemetery in what was the collared pauper grounds. So this is the level of horror and disrespect that Black Atlantans are dealing with. So the formation of a cemetery like Southview is not surprising. Southview opens and it becomes the cemetery for Black Atlanta. Burials at Rest Haven basically stop, and to date there are only about 200 burials there. I love Southview so much because I end every Sweet Auburn tour by telling people that all of the men and women I just told you about are buried there. Carrie Cunningham, Geneva Hogabrooks, Alonzo Herndon, you name it, they're there. And then what most people don't know is that when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, he was first buried here too, until Coretta created the King Center the following year and she moved his body to the crypt where it is now. 
Same story with Benjamin Mays, who was King's mentor and the sixth president of Morehouse College. Mays' body was later moved to the college campus. So this cemetery is still a very active cemetery, and it sort of kind of has like the historic section to the right. Um, And if you go there, just go to the right, and you're going to see all of these names. Also have a mailing list. I suggest you get on there because they will offer a few tours and events during the year. Next up is Greenwood. In 1904, Atlanta's population was somewhere around 90,000 people. Fort McPherson had just installed electric lights, and the Eastlake Country Club opened its doors, and the Peter Street Viaduct was just completed in Castleberry Hill. As the year came to a close, two men, with a cash capital of $100,000, chartered Greenwood Cemetery. Their names were William Brown and James Mason. Brown didn't have a lot of information about him, but Mason was very active in city government. He was on the Board of Education, he ran for alderman, and even mayor. It's located on Cascade Circle. Um, The first interment was three years later, so in 1907. And its most famous resident today is probably Truett Cathy, who's the founder of Chick-fil-A. There are three unique features to add why I really want you to visit Greenwood. First is that it has a Greek section, which opened in 1911. Um, It's about an acre in size, and it's sectioned off a little bit from the main cemetery, but it's absolutely beautiful. The graves are like nothing you'll ever see. So there's Greek inscriptions, but just really beautiful sculpture there as well. There's a small yellow church building also within this boundary, and that building has a designation of being the oldest Orthodox church built expressly for Orthodox worship in continuous use in Georgia. Also opened in 1911 is a Chinese section, which is bordered, um, this one with a little iron railing. So I don't know if you're having the same thoughts I did. I did not associate Atlanta with having a large Greek or Chinese population in the early 20th century. So you better believe I'm researching those and hopefully future episodes to come. You cannot leave Greenwood without visiting the Holocaust Memorial. Also something you probably weren't expecting to find in a cemetery. The memorial to 6 million Jews murdered in the Holocaust, it's made of granite, It has six torches on top, one for each million people. Designed by architect and Holocaust survivor Benjamin Hirsch, there are only two like it in the entire United States. Now, before I move on to Crestlawn, I want to talk about the land that Crestlawn sits on. As you travel down Marietta Road towards downtown Atlanta, Crestlawn Cemetery appears on a mountain in the distance. The original white settler of this land was named John A. Casey who lived on it from about 1820 to 1907. Before the 1860s, if you were traveling from Atlanta to Marietta or Decatur to Marietta, the road you would take would cross this hill on Casey's land, and then you'd board Montgomery's Ferry to cross at Chattahoochee and then continue to Marietta. During the Civil War, Confederate forces camped on the banks of this hill before shifting to Atlanta. So there are still there today remnants of these Civil War embankments. In 1913, the Atlanta Cemetery Association invests $50,000 in opening what is then called Atlanta Park Cemetery. 8,000 lots are scheduled to be available for purchase at just $35 each. Just one year later, the cemetery's name is changed to Northview Cemetery, and news is announced of its new mausoleum. This mausoleum was a really big deal. Across America, the community mausoleum movement started with the dawn of the 20th century, and it was seen as this new modern way to be buried. And it was promoted as a more sanitary method of burial due to the fact that you're not decomposing in the ground, which, you know, things can seep through the dirt, um, but you're in concrete and you're contained. 
Northview Cemetery was going to build the first community mausoleum in the South. Designed by my very favorite Atlanta architect, A. Tenike Brown, this marble structure is very much still there and it's truly beautiful. Somewhere in the 1920s, it gets named Cresslawn, uh, and then in 1930, the cemetery is reorganized and renamed the Crown Hill Cemetery. I think this cemetery certainly gets the award for most name changes. Today, it's back to the way that we call it, which is Cresslawn Memorial Park. There are five different Jewish burial grounds. Um, this is also the final resting place of Lena Fox, who was the real-life person that inspired Driving Miss Daisy. At the back of the current manicured cemetery is a separate cemetery named Casey's Hill for the earliest settler. Now, it's been a very, very long time since I've been here to visit um, in this section. And so when I went, there was definitely a situation where you went to wear boots and long pants. Um, but I, it's definitely something to check out. Lastly, if the graves and the half-abandoned cemetery cannot lure you, the views of Atlanta from up here are incredible, and it's actually a very popular place for photographers to go and get skyline pictures. Our last cemetery is out of chronological order, but it's so unique, um, and I couldn't help but sharing this story as a little addition. In the parking lot of a Walmart supercenter in Avondale Estates sits the Crowley Mausoleum. James Crowley receives 500 acres in Decatur from his parents, and he establishes a farm. He dies in 1828, and his family buries him on a hill overlooking his land. The land stays in the Crowley family until it is sold to the Hill family, which were, they were relatives. Local stories are that the cemetery was fenced with barbed wire until the 1950s. And it was in the 1960s that the Hill family sells the land so that Columbia Mall could be built. The developer decides or agrees to build a really tall mausoleum around the cemetery and then the parking lot is around it. Apparently there were more than 40 graves of enslaved people that the Crowley family owned, but those were not saved uh, and instead they were built over. See that statement I made in the beginning of the episode. The mall later becomes Avondale Mall, and now it is a super Walmart. So if anything, these cemeteries give you a little bit of glimpse of imagining what this land was before. So before you see a neighborhood, before you see a road, you know, it was rolling farmland. So there you have it, the story of six Atlanta cemeteries that you may or may not have known existed. Thank you all for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast on iTunes, go over there and leave a review um, or a rating. I am just five ratings away from 100. So help me get there. Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll see you next week.